This is Questionable History with two snarky sisters. I'm Amy. And I'm Beth. This is a podcast about books, specifically historical romances. Spoilers are coming, so if you want to read the book first, pause now and come back when you're ready. We read the books so you don't have to. Let's get started. On today's episode, we're talking about the book 10 Things I Love About You, which is the third book in the Belvistoke series by Julia Quinn of Bridgerton series fame. It was published in May of 2010, and it has a 3.98 out of 5 stars rating on Goodreads out of about 20,000 ratings. Our synopsis for this book comes courtesy of Goodreads. 10 things you should know about this book. 1. Sebastian Gray is a devilishly handsome rogue with a secret. 2. Annabelle Winslow's family voted her the Winslow most likely to speak her mind and the Winslow most likely to fall asleep in church. 3. Sebastian's uncle is the Earl of Newbury, and if he dies without siring an heir, Sebastian inherits everything. 4. Lord Newbury detests Sebastian and will stop at nothing to prevent this from happening. 5. Lord Newbury has decided that Annabelle is the answer to all of his problems. 6. Annabelle does not want to marry Lord Newbury, especially when she finds out he once romanced her grandmother. 7 is shocking, 8 is delicious, and 9 is downright wicked, all of which lead the way to 10. Happily ever after. Okay, let's dive in. Well, I'm chuckling right now because I happened to scroll down on Goodreads and then the next comment about it is called 10 Things I Didn't Love About This Book. Yeah. So let's just say I think I agree with the people on Goodreads. There's pluses and minuses in this book. Yes, for sure. I'd say I have like five things I liked and five things I didn't like. I'll dive into the characters. Full disclosure, Sebastian is one of my favorite names for a boy. So I was predisposed to like this hero because he has a cool name. He had a very endearing prologue where we get introduced to him. If you read the other books, you kind of already know him because he is a side character in the other books in the series. Can I derail you on nicknames for just a second? Yeah. I feel like in this book, they kept calling him like Seb. Seb. As a nickname. And I was like, fascinating because usually I hear like Bash or something. And so then I kept playing with the name like, well, what would be a better nickname? I'm like, it's kind of an odd one. It's a hard one to have a a nickname Mm. for. I remember because when I was considering naming my son, Sebastian, mom gave me a hard time. She's like, what what, what would his nickname be? It's like, I don't know. He doesn't need one. It's a cool name. Yeah, I've heard of Baz. And one time I heard like Tion, Sean, I don't, I, it was oh. a weird, Bast, oh no, maybe it was Bastian, they called maybe, him Bastian, right? the end of it, which was yeah. unique, I'd never For any of you that. who might be trying to name a pet or a family member at some point in your lives, it's all fun and games till you commit to a name with like three or four syllables, yes. and then you're stuck with that. Yeah. So think about nicknames. Signing the name, writing the name, all the right. forms they're going to have to fill out. Yep. yep. I legit read his name, Sebastian Gray, and I thought, isn't this the name of the guy from Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> And so then it got really weird in my head because of the whole scene on the grass and whatever. And I'm like, what is happening? Turns out it's not. It's like Christian Grey or oh, something. Oh, you're right. In but it's novels. a similar Enough that I was sound. like, wait, what? Yeah, because you, you wanna... made me do a huh? Yeah. You want to go, who wrote what first? Like, where yeah. did this come from? So that that one, I got really tired of them continually saying Sebastian Grey. Sebastian Grey. His Gray. full like, name, Stop. right? I'm like, we get it. I will tell you. So I was on board with Sebastian. Really liked him until they got to the meet cute part. Because then I just thought that was gross. I don't remember the meat cute. The oh. scene itself was cute. But if you read between the lines, he had just been with another woman 
on that blanket having an assignation, which I am pretty, is that how you say it? Assignation. Assignation, which I pretty pretty sure is code word for sex. Yeah. Right? Let, Let me explain. Okay. So basically, Annabelle, our our heroine, is at a ball and she is, uh, she had just been rather unfortunately kissed by Lord Newberry, who is someone as old as her grandparents that they want her to marry. And well, was, and beyond kiss. She was pretty much molested. Oh, it was awful. Violated. Yeah, he was like sticking his tongue in her mouth. He's grabbing her, her boobs. boobs. Like it was, yeah. it was gross and frightening and she hated it. So she runs outside for some fresh air and she's sitting in the garden and then she hears people coming. She doesn't want to see anybody. So she goes farther because she's a country girl at heart. So she's like, oh, look, I'll go out here to the heath, the open area. And when she's out there hiding from what seems like an amorous couple come into the garden, she stumbles across literally Sebastian, like reclining on a blanket. And as Amy was describing, yeah, we know from his like little backstory when he was planning to go to this ball that he was planning on hooking up with some widow or whatever, some married lady. And so, yeah, it is kind of creepy because he just, you know, he's super relaxed, wink, wink, but like... Ew, you know right? what I mean? Like, because they literally weird. had just done it on the blanket. Yeah. I think if it had been, he had been out there with another woman, I would have been okay. It was, and we, there's no question the blanket was a part of it because he references yeah. how lucky that she had the foresight to ask a servant to put a blanket exactly. out. Like, I just thought that was a Not little weird. Like he was wandering around, they bumped into each yeah. other, and there was even a moment yes. of like, why do you have a blanket? And then yes. like, winky, winky. It was just, Yeah, tongue in was... cheek or, or moves past it because he gets embarrassed. Yeah, it was weird. So then he... Then he proceeds to flirt, and they have a very cute, you know, back and forth and dialogue, but I can't get past the fact that they're sitting (laughs) on a blanket he literally, within the last 20 minutes, Uh had had sex on. Yeah. It just, it creeped me out. He was hanging out there waiting for the the married lady to get back safely alone back to the party, and then he was going to follow and go back in. Yeah. And it is kind of a meet cute in the sense that... You know, under the cover of darkness, out here on the heath, whatever. Like, they're, they're, they're kind incognito. of being themselves. Yeah. yeah. Incognito. Exactly like a masquerade ball they often will use in, in books. You know, like, oh, they could just be themselves. So that part was nice. Yes. But yeah, it was super weird. Yeah. It was cute. One of the funniest introductions to me with Sebastian is in the prologue, which is like a few years before this book takes place. He talks about being unable to sleep. Insomnia is a mm-hmm. recurring problem for him. And it says that he got out of bed. He tried to read something. He drank some tea. He tossed and turned, et cetera, et cetera. And I chuckled because I thought, I guess they didn't know about caffeine. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sleeping powder? tea has caffeine oh, in it. And so, right. like, why did he drink a bunch of tea and then try to go back to bed? But That's true. Made me question a lot of his life choices going through the book. Right? Yeah. It wasn't ever... I mean, I guess it was kind of explained his insomnia. I, I'm assuming it was related to the war and trauma, like PTSD maybe, but it wasn't ever directly or consciously, I thought, linked into that. Did I miss something? I always got the impression, too, that it was related to the war in some way. So we find okay. out eventually that in Sebastian's backstory, he had been a sniper during the war. And so it was his job to be slow and steady, to never make a, a impulsive action it had to be the perfect shot right um i remember there being a couple of scenes in the park where someone's shooting a gun and that catches sebastian off guard and it makes him kind of 
startled and, and anxious. Um, and so, as I was saying, he was a sniper and then he had been in the war. And so I kind of always thought, oh, I guess it's kind of like maybe a PTSD style thing. But they never really talk, as they do in some other books of like, oh, he saw so many men die or whatever. Right. I, I guess I was waiting for that trauma yeah. explanation. And maybe it doesn't need it. I mean, war's horrific. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And being a sniper, there must be a sense of it was almost an impersonal kill because it wasn't in the heat of battle. Um, you had to be methodical and do it. And so I could see how there might be even more trauma if that had been your your role in the war. I guess I was just waiting for that overarching storyline that was like, oh, Annabelle helped him through this trauma. Yeah. And and there wasn't. And maybe that was me looking for a trope. Maybe the whole idea was Sebastian was a guy that pretty much had his life together. He People think he's a screw up or lazy bout. Lazy about? What am I trying to say? Lazy about? Lazy about. But he wasn't, really. I mean, this was a man who had a career. He was doing something he loved. He was actually pretty self-sufficient, so... Yeah, so that night in the prologue, years ago, where he couldn't sleep and decided to drink tea, um, basically... Uh, he watches the sunrise and the the impression of the light slanting through the window strikes him as a beautiful phrase and he starts thinking about books he's read yeah books he's read and he's like i could write better than that and so we find out that he started a career as a novelist and so he writes under the pen name sarah gorley and that is like his career so he's earning money to to sustain himself he's not wealthy by any means but he lives in this weird place where he's lord newberry's heir because lord newberry's son had died and so basically his uncle hates him and does not want sebastian to inherit so his uncle's ready to like marry someone and get a son and sebastian is in this limbo where people are like i guess we should still invite him he might be the earl someday (laughs) but he's technically doesn't have any money and he's like like, just in case i want to say he has older siblings he might be like second or third he's an only child oh he was in this one okay Yeah, so it was like a bizarre, like, they reference that a little bit. He's in limbo in society a little bit where people don't want to ostracize him in case he becomes the Earl. But they also have to be nice to the Earl because he's actually the Earl right now. And so I found that really interesting that he has a job and everything. Yeah, and he he ends up mooching breakfast off of his cousin every morning or staying at his house every once in yeah. a while. But he, as he describes it, it's not because he has to. It's because, well, why would I turn down free breakfast? I like hanging out with my cousin it's anyways. It's like loneliness and yeah. society. He likes to be around He's close to yeah. his cousin. They were raised like brothers. So yeah. Um, I, but that's why everyone has the impression that he's living hand to mouth. He, he stays where people will give him free food and, and whatnot. So they, that's part of Annabelle's dilemma is she knows because she's the oldest of eight, she has to marry well with money to support her brothers and her sisters when they have their come out. And so even though she's falling in love with Sebastian, she's been told by the gossip mongers that he's not a viable option because he 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 lives on handouts. He doesn't have his own wealth. And what's fascinating about Sebastian is that he is known for his stable, like, personality and his quiet nature, meaning, like, he's not uh, given to, like, flights of fancy and impetuous decisions. And so he just lets people assume what they yeah. assume. He doesn't care. He just yeah. goes about his life and is like, all right, they he's can confident think I'm penniless. Himself. Yeah. I don't care. Like he doesn't care about being the Earl, which I think ir- irritates his uncle even more. Yeah. And it's never really, okay, and maybe this could have been me. Maybe I missed it, the nuance of why his uncle hated him so much. 
And is that just supposed to be like the mystery? Because Sebastian himself doesn't even know why his uncle hates him so much. No, they never really go into it. It's all implied that sense of. It's like he didn't like Sebastian's dad. Therefore, I don't like you. You're the spawn of the devil. He does. But it doesn't explain. They never explain why he didn't like his brother. (laughs) They don't. And what's interesting is like the uncle's been insulting him for years and, you know, he can never do anything right. And, And Sebastian, for the most part, is just like. Yeah, I don't know. This guy's never liked me, right? so whatever. That's just what it is. But I kind of like how he didn't make him a bitter person or an angry person. He like, just didn't he's care. okay with yeah. who he is. He has the people who love him, mm-hmm. the people he cares about. He respects himself. His uncle, yeah. until Annabelle came along, he could have cared less what mm-hmm. his uncle was doing with his life. He would have been have 10 kids. I don't care about inheriting. So when Annabelle and Sebastian meet, they purposefully don't reveal their names to each other. So they don't know who each other is. She ends up finding out. She does. He tells her. Okay. Are you getting to that? Yeah. Okay. So right. so the the point was to kind of have that anonymity and like we just met in the dark this one time yeah. out here on the heath. There was a really funny comment I got to bring up. She references describing this handsome man she met out on the heath, right? And and we're still out there with them in the dark, mind you. Maybe it's a full moon, although I don't believe they referenced that. But she says something about his hair being chestnut mixed with like chocolate or something and it cracked me up because i'm like how the heck can i possibly see that i Was mean it like a bright moon <laughs> right like dark hair you think it would just look dark, dark. out even in a full moon right. so things like that crack me up I'm like they're not in a ballroom they're standing outside in the but, 1800s but we or had to be told the color of his hair right we couldn't in go on reading moment. the book how are we going to go? Without knowing yeah. what he looked like. How are we going to imagine it if they don't specify that it's between, here it is, between walnut and chocolate? Okay. <laughs> but to give the author props, uh, her heroine references how her bottom teeth were a jumble. And I was like, oh, someone without perfectly white porcelain teeth. I couldn't believe it. I was like, right on for all of us that have crooked teeth. Like, right? it's okay. There's nothing to be shameful about. You can still be beautiful with crooked teeth. But then they reference Sebastian in the same phrase. Oh, yeah, he had perfect. And it says, whoever this man was, he had been visited many times by the gods of dentistry. <laughs> His teeth were white and even, etc. And I remember commenting to myself, what was dentistry even really like? Like, was that like all these draw? people have perfect white teeth? Y'all who's listening, I don't care enough to Google it, but I was fascinated to at least ponder it for a minute and be like, yeah, yeah. Would, they drink so much tea and coffee. Right? Would their teeth really have been be white, white or is it a, a spectrum? Mother of pearl. <laughs> like that Colgate or Crest commercial. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned how he writes these popular uh, romances, um, gothic style, right? Because they're in, they're, the heroine's always in peril and it's outrageous how she gets out of these situations she's in and uh sebastian is the one writing them and what i find charming about julia quinn's series is that she will tie in her series to the to each other so there has been reference throughout some of our other series about them reading this miss butterworth and yeah the sarah uh, gorley books yes and so it was funny to see that come full circle and be like oh here we get to find out you know the creator of them and and where this came from so i i love it when authors can do that when they can give us little what do they call them easter eggs or yeah yeah when they are conscientious that they're creating this world and so they make those connections so it still feels like a connected world because sometimes you read these series and they're all set in london but none of the characters ever seem to pass each other 
or intermingle. And I'm thinking that's not possible if they're all written at the same time. You're creating a world. Show us how your world interconnects. There is a quote from this book that was exactly like that. And basically it said, wait for it. Wait for it. No, I have like so many notes on this book. I'm like, hold on, hold on. I got to find this. But basically it was talking about like everybody knows each other in the ton or whatever, right? Yeah. And I had this a similar thought of like, but do they? Right. Because they still talk about hundreds of people attending, for example, a ball or whatever. And I'm thinking like where I went to, you know, to college, I might have actually known the 120 people that started with me in that particular class program, right? But that's only 120 people and I don't know them all super well. And so there's this part of me that's like, how involved were they really in each other's lives? Because I feel like there must be pockets that know everything about everybody, but I can't imagine that all of the upper echelon of society actually knew each other if there's truly hundreds, you know? Well, except that's the thing. I don't think there were hundreds in the truly upper echelon of society. Like I can imagine there are a lot of people on the outskirts, but we read these books and unless they make it a call to say we were... We were gentility, but we weren't, like, up there in the aristocracy, right? Then, theoretically, if you were in the it crowd, you would all run into each other. Because there can only be a certain number of people in an it crowd or it's no longer an it crowd. Like, yeah, it, it suddenly what, becomes, oh, anyone can get into this club. That's what gets confusing. Because when they have enough overlap that it's like, no, no, we're the it crowd in this series, like the Bridgerton series, <laughs> yeah, for yeah, example. Yeah. Then but then they're never referenced. You don't know any of the people from this Beverly Stokes series or whatever. Right? Like, I don't get it. Are you? Aren't, That's true. That part is so confusing to me. Why does it? Especially because they overlap? all live in the same few city blocks. Right? Mayfair is not a big London five miles. Is only like a mile or two square. Right? You know, these would all be neighbors, and so that is where a lot of authors lose me. Is they they, they don't reference their own characters in their own books yeah. where you're like, you just said like the, these, this family was the leaders of the ton and I'm reading a book two years later and they're not referenced. Right. Maybe all. it's the fickle nature of society. Maybe. So <laughs> they're already out. We don't care about them anymore. I want to hear what you think about Annabelle. I both loved her and hated her. So I thought she was endearing. I love how she made the list in her head. I liked her inner dialogue, but I couldn't get into her character because I didn't truly understand her motivation. Like, I found it really hard to believe that a mother, her mother, who had turned her back on society, married a poor man, lived happily Not with even her kids. super poor. Like, no, they have gentility. a country estate, yes. but it was like a country squire as yes. opposed to an earl or whatever. I did not believe that they would be put pressure on her to marry this old, disgusting... And I'm sorry, at this point, we know he's a lecherous creep yeah he sexually assaulted sexually assaulted her hallway at this ball and that was not her that she was still considering marrying him after that and i don't know maybe the oldest in a family is really that self-sacrificing but i don't feel like the loving family she talks about anyone in that family would have said you must do this for us. You must sacrifice yourself for us. And what frustrated me is she eventually gets to that point where she realizes my family loves me. They wouldn't want me to sacrifice that. But it takes her the whole book to get there. And I just, I would have believed it more if she was resistant to the match and her grandparents kept saying, no, we will, we will throw your family in debtor's prison. Or if there had been some kind of like extremely extenuating circumstance 
that made it absolutely necessary that she marry this old man because I didn't buy it just based on oh, what about my brother's tuition? I'm like, there are, she is such a resourceful woman. I'm like, you would become a governess first. You would start writing books of your own first. Like, I just didn't buy that I'm going to marry this. I mean, he was truly disgusting, Beth. It wasn't just he's old. Right. He was a horrible human being. Yeah. And her grandparents are pushing this, which gets really disgusting later when you find out about what came up in the, in the description. He had already had, like, two or three wives that had died and things like that. He and was he had like, an affair with her grandmother. He was like overweight and like gross yeah. and smelled like fish and things. And so like you could almost understand her grandparents trying to promote the match match and push it. But there's a but why him? That doesn't make a lot of sense. She hadn't because... even been out in the season that long yet. And it was almost like we've already decided you're gonna marry this old man. Which was particularly gross when you find out that the grandma had an affair and a child with him. And she's pushing her granddaughter to marry him. It is messed up. We'll talk about the grandma in a minute. But what I want to comment on this is that there was a line in the book where she says something along the lines of, my mother wouldn't push me to do this. My mother wouldn't make me marry this guy or whatever, right? Yeah. But she's not here. And I'm like... So doesn't matter. Right. Like she's still essentially your your guardian or whatever, exactly. right? She's still the one that's gonna make those sorts of decisions. And then related to that, as Amy was kind of saying, the biggest financial threat seems to be that her brothers might have to leave school for a term or two type of thing. And that is a little bit baffling because Annabelle is never even described as like plain no. or undesirable at all. They keep talking about this generous bosom or whatever. And there's a part of me that's many like many men would have there's gotta be many men of modest income even to be good enough, right? Yeah. Like and it's not like again, debtor's prison. There's no super strong threat. No. So why is she going along with this? It yes. doesn't she make felt any sense. Like a pushover and I don't like pushover heroines. It felt like she um didn't have a backbone and in that sense I was like she doesn't deserve Seb, Sebastian. And honestly, I the story I want to read about is her cousin Louisa. Oh my gosh, I, I did really love Louisa. Louisa. And I was yeah. like, that's the story that I want to read because she was just way more interesting than Annabelle to me. Sorry, Annabelle. You're not a real person. Oh, for sure. But... I made a quote when I'm like, I would read Louisa's book. Yes. Looked it up. They don't have a book no. about Louisa yet. So but Julia Quinn, if you're listening, now that you have all that money from the Bridgerton series, right? you have time to write us a book about Louisa. To the labor of love that is Louisa's book so that we can read it. <laughs> there is actually, though, related to the choice of who she's going to marry, there is a quote that I actually called it the greatest line in all of Regency romance history. <laughs> so I want to share this line for you because I loved it. And basically, to give you some bit of premise, Annabelle is trying, is like waffling between recognizing that she's in love with or at least infatuated with the nephew, Sebastian, and she'd rather love him, but he's probably penniless, right? Or the Earl, who her grandparents are pushing there to marry in and knows that he has money and he could just take away the fi- family's financial um, problems. Although, brief side note before I read this quote, let me just throw it out there. This uncle... Lord Newberry is obviously a giant cad. He's awful. Why would you trust that he would even take care of your family? I know. Why would you trust your grandparents to fight for you and make sure you even get a fair settlement or whatever? Like, there's so many holes in this idea. But here's the quote that I got to share with you. It says, he was handsome, the nephew, not the earl. He was a rogue. Again, the nephew. 
He was probably penniless and spent a great deal of time with his cousins on the other side of his family, definitely the nephew. And in fact, it had better be the nephew, because if Annabelle married Lord Newberry and he turned out to be penniless, she was going to be livid. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was funny. Line. Oh, my gosh. I was laughing. Yes. And I was like, again, finally some spirit in this girl to yes. be like, I would be livid. Yeah. But the anger comes right after where you're like, what the hell? Then be livid. Don't marry him. Yes. Be like, I'm sorry, family. I deserve a modicum of happiness. I deserve to not be stuck with a terrible person. I would have bought it. If there hadn't been that violation molesting scene in the beginning. Oh, yeah. I would have bought her being like, okay, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll at least try. I'll let him court me, right? Yeah. I'm not going to turn him down. I'm going to see if I can make this work. That man molested her. And mm-hmm. how is it in that moment her saying, nope, I am better than this. You know what the catalyst was for her? When he pinches her butt at the house party. That is when she's finally like, I'm done. I'm not marrying him. I'm like, yeah. seriously? That was your limit? <laughs> the man bruised your boobs. Allegedly, he was squeezing them so hard. Right? Allegedly, that pinch on the butt was enough for her to, like, wake up and be like, no, I don't care. I'm willing I to be I deserve poor. better than this. Yeah, yeah. But we were talking, like, four or like, five hundred pages of nonsense of before she got there. Sebastian yeah. along because he had proposed and... She was, like, still stringing him along, knew, knowing that her grandparents had already committed her to the Earl of Newberry. Like, pretty much at that house party, they end up showing up at a house party together. She knows her grandparents have signed the contract with Newberry, and she still, she hasn't told Sebastian. She's stringing him along. I haven't decided yet on your proposal. I don't know. I just, my respect for her plummeted it was at that so point. I was like, you should yeah. have been honest with him and said... My grandparents did this without my knowledge. I don't want to marry him. I don't know what to do. Can we just have some honest conversations, people? Tell him I'm worried about money. I'm worried about what's going to... And she she does. And Sebastian is like, we'll figure it out. We'll make it work. And that's still not enough to convince her. He's like, I'll support them as much as I can. You know, he's not being dishonest of like, I'm so wealthy. All your troubles yeah. will go away. But it's like, we'll be together. We'll we'll figure this out. He and makes she's a, still like, he makes a joke know. that's semi-realistic yeah. of like, well, worst case, we can go on a diet, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, well, we'll, we'll eat, eat less rich foods or yeah, whatever or something, it is. Yeah. And again, she's like, mm, I don't know. I guess I better marry the gross old man instead of being like, you're right, honey. We love each Just, other. We're, we'll figure it out. You know? All I can say is she's damn lucky that he stuck around. Yeah. Because I was actually expecting this buildup to this huge fight scene. Because, I, again, I got, I got my head in the trope. So I was like, okay, she's hiding something from him. Newberry's going to announce their engagement at this house party. There's going to be a huge blowout of like, you liar. I proposed to you. Why didn't, why weren't you honest with me? And this is how great Sebastian was. It was so refreshing. He literally turns to her and is like, is that true? Are you married to him? Even at this point, we know Annabelle had decided she's not going to marry him. Yeah. Sebastian didn't even face him when his uncle said, well, we're, she has no choice. The papers have already been signed or she's good mine. And he turns to Annabelle and gives her the chance to defend herself. Yeah. And that's it. Takes her at her word. Yeah. No hurt feelings, no hard feeling. He's like so above me as a human oh, being. Yeah. Cause he was just like, okay, she said no. And then ends up fighting, you know, for her honor kind of thing. So yeah, that was actually very, very refreshing. Trout free. Woohoo. Yeah, it was nice that there was no crazy misunderstanding built in there. And it was nice that Sebastian was willing to just ask the straightforward yes. question. Yeah. 
And it, she and she didn't lie. No. Which was also nice. And she wasn't like, oh, well, ooh, I feel social pressure. I feel myself. awkward. He was, yeah. She was like, no, no I don't want to marry him. So it, it escalates to this point of where he's calling his uncle out because his uncle's insulting the love of his life, calling her a whore and stuff like this. I love that resolution where Annabelle convinces him it's not about your the Earl. I could care less what he thinks about right. me. You don't know. You don't think it's true. You know it's not true. I know it's not true. Let's move past this. And he is. And he gives an apology. It doesn't end up being this crazy duel at dawn. Yeah. He, he withdraws his thing. And he realizes, no, what matters is I won. I got the girl. Yeah. In the sense. And so I'm happy. That's all I wanted. That's all I needed. Uncle, you can go off and do whatever you want to do. And that's where the book should have ended. <laughs> right? Gone to epilogue. We're done. We'll get into in a minute what happens after that. Because it's a whole thing. But I want to I want to yeah, talk yeah. about that. Encapsulate yeah. it on its own. I wanted to throw out something that struck me as kind of funny in this book. Okay. So the premise of the book is 10 things I love about you. And it starts with this idea that they'll count things off. Yeah. Like in that little description we read from Goodreads. One, uh, blah, blah, blah. Two. And so it's like like all the reasons of something. Yeah. Whatever it might be. To help be. him make a decision or whatever. Yeah. Both, both Sebastian and Annabelle will go through this process of listing things in groups of 10. And there were a couple of things that struck me as funny. The first is, I'm going to list. The first is, they each only did it <laughs> Do like. Do you have 10? No. Oh, okay. But neither do they. So we'll get to that. <laughs> no, but the first is that, like, each of them only does it, like, twice in right. the course of the book. But but then they make the comment that, I do that all the time. I do. Yeah. So, so it was like, so funny because uh, you're like, yeah, you each did it, like, twice. Yeah. yeah. You're shoehorning this plot device in here, Ms. Quinn, yeah. but okay. And then it was funny because in this one list, for example, I'll just read part of it. It says... Five, this is Sebastian doing this. Five, he'd never insulted a woman in his life, not unless she truly deserved it, which six, this woman didn't, which meant that seven, he needed to apologize, and eight, he had no idea to do so. Um, nine, he had no idea to idea what to say, etc. And sometimes I'm like, you didn't have ten things either, Ms. Quinn. Right. Like, you are stretching this list. Yeah. And like, again, forcing something to try to drag it to ten, to hit this... 10 and i'm like yeah. i think it would have worked better almost if it was like just in random his head. numbers yeah or in his head he's always kind of making a list yeah and so it's like one two and then yeah. like three chapters later three four like yeah we get to hear a progression where in his mind he's always he's making some sort of to a list. list yeah that would have been but funnier. it felt a little bit stretched i out. also would have preferred it if just one of them had that quirk right I, I don't know i was like i don't get the charm of we both do this right and I'm like, or just leave it at the very end he makes the list of the 10 reasons he loves her it like, was more, it could have just been a one-time thing. Yeah. It made more sense to me that Sebastian did it. Yes. Because of, he had made a writer and things yes. like that. That he was so kind of process. like making lists in his head. Yeah. It cracked me up. And then there was like a silly joke at the end where, um, oh, but that's 11 things. And I'm like, again, none of us care about this stupid right. plot device. Just move on. <laughs> just because you named your book 10 things, yada, 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 doesn't mean the lists always have to be 10. Yeah. It actually would have been more funny if they were always short or longer. And like they were you, like... Oh, that's only eight. I'll get to it later. Right? Or something. I don't know. Make a joke about how the fact it never gets to ten. Another thing I wanted to point out that I thought really was funny about Sebastian is he's proud of his books, right? Probably like any author, he has better and worse moments. You know, oh, maybe I should have done that differently. Yeah. Or I like the way that did. And I find it really sweet that he's very confident in himself and going through life and society and whatever, but he has a soft spot for his books. Yes. And so it's hard for him if people don't love his books. Yeah. And his cousin, Harry, is actually working as a translator to translate his books into Russian or whatever. 
But Harry doesn't know that Sebastian's the author, and neither does Olivia, who is Harry's wife. And so it's kind of like a funny, awkward thing where you, you feel, I at least felt for Sebastian a little bit when people would be like, oh, I can't get into them, or oh, they're too flowery, or whatever the thing yeah. might be. And you can almost feel him being like, oh, right. that's my baby. Right. So that was kind of fun because then it comes up with Annabelle. Have you ever read my book? And she's like, oh, no, I haven't yet. And so you can kind of get this thread as she's trying to read some or trying to get one to her so she can read it, you can tell he wants her to like yes. it. And that was yeah. kind of sweet where he was like, it please was. like my creative talents. Yeah. I thought it was funny um, because he'll think things that he's been critiqued on. So like there's a, there's, he references how Olivia, he, he'd always been like sensitive with her since she pointed out that he used purview wrong in his book. Right. And so later on she uses a word and he references how that's to get back at her. Because right? <laughs> if she's going to be stickler about purview, then he's going to make sure that she's using the correct language. So it is sweet to see him sensitive about it. And I like how I like how her reaction is honest about it and how when she finally finds out it's him, she admits that they're not her favorite books. They were hard for her to read. But what she loved about them was that they reminded her her of him yeah and i think that was the best compliment he got because nobody else ever made the connection yeah even his close cousin yeah. like, like a brother level and cousin. she saw it and i think it yeah. was like oh yeah she loves me because she sees me in these characters yeah so. it was cute to watch her progression too because little things would fall and and as the reader um you know us being the audience the reader we realized that something struck her as like oh wait what was that and it's almost like yeah. it passes and yeah. then later all the pieces come together and she's like oh <gasps> That, wait, that's why you're you said this and that and that. Like, you're the author. And yeah. so it's a beautiful moment of realization for And her. then I love how she immediately inserts herself into the creative process. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Because <laughs> that would totally be me. I'd be like, oh, okay, I have the idea for your next book. And how about this title? <laughs> so this is probably an inside joke with Beth and I. But if you're an Arrested Development fan, <laughs> you will get this. But there is a quote that totally had me uh, reminiscent of Job. And it's the part where Sebastian is starting to realize he has feelings, right? And it says his body began to thrum with a light, heady feeling. It wasn't lust or even desire. He knew exactly how those felt. This was different. Excitement, perhaps? Maybe anticipation? Although he was not sure for what. And I heard Michael going, could it be love? I know what an erection feels like, Michael. And I was like, oh my gosh, either Julia Quinn is an Arrested Development fan, or that was one of the best quote placements to tie in Arrested Development with this book. But I loved it. So like, to me, it was an homage. I'm not making fun, but that's what it reminded me of. Joe being like, it's not sexual desire because I don't have an erection. So what is this I'm feeling? So there's a quote that I also struck me. It reminded me of a TV show. But I don't think Amy's actually seen this one. But basically, Sebastian was trying to figure out why he wasn't enjoying the champagne and the partying and the girls and whatever like he used to or whatever. And he says, good Lord, he was getting too old for this nonsense. And it reminded me of BoJack Horseman. So if anyone out there happens to be a BoJack Horseman fan, there's a, there's a funny transition of character in that where basically he also realizes that he's getting too old for his young and partying ways. And so it just made me chuckle that Sebastian is starting to recognize, like, what is the point of my life? Right. All the social part of it, you know, yeah. where he's just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, maybe I should start settling down because this is getting ridiculous. The other thing I really think that this author, Julia Quinn, does well is 
writes about big families. And I don't know if she comes from a big family or she just imagines that this is what big families could be be like like in a good healthy one where they all talk and like each other. And uh, it's the... so So it's cute. She'll often describe these families and I want to learn more about them. So I would love a whole series about the Winslow family because I thought it was very cute how they have, you know, the Winslow most likely. Mm -hmm. So it would keep coming up. She was the Winslow most likely to do this. And it was funny because she was even, she was the third, the wins, the, the third place for like outrunning a turkey or right. something like that. But then later on, when she becomes a gray because she marries Sebastian, she's the, she's the the gray most likely to outrun right. a turkey because she still beats Sebastian right. <laughs> outrunning the turkey. So those kind of little tidbits that are added in, uh, I find very endearing. I don't know. It just makes it feel like real people when there's exactly. fun stuff like that. Included. That is a great style that I think she has. She's willing to throw out details that we don't get the whole backstory on and that just rounds out a character and it fleshes yeah. out what a crazy, funny it shows family how... might be like. You're right. Sorry. Because uh, it shows how competitive. They keep referencing yeah. Annabelle is competitive. And this is a cute, sweet way to show that competitiveness without it being overbearing so related to that one of the things i thought was kind of funny in this story is the reason lord newberry wants to marry annabelle is because he needs to have a son right he needs to disinherit sebastian by having a son that can instead inherit and become the new earl and so they talk a lot about annabelle being the chosen one because annabelle's own mother had eight children and annabelle's grandparents had like uh seven Seven or ten or something. And so what's funny about it is this quote is, uh, Sebastian is thinking about it. And it says, Sebastian considered that Lord Vickers had several granddaughters, which made sense as he and Lady Vickers had something approaching 15 children of their own. And I'm like, it's so true that when you know someone has like a a big family, but you don't really know them close. You're like, yeah, yeah, they have like, I don't know, 10, 15, whatever. It's a big number. But so, yeah, well, I'm chuckling because Amy's like seven. I'm like, probably was seven. But in his mind, it had grown to 15. Surely they had a ton of kids, you know. The funny thing about that, fertility-wise, is that then it starts coming out how many of them are not actually yeah. Lord Vicar's children. Like, yeah. apparently this grandma got around in her yeah. day, and so most of the younger kids were bastards from her lovers, apparently. Yeah. This grandma, I waffled on this grandma. I don't grandma. know, because there were be funny like, scenes with yes. her. Grandma Vickers, when we first meet her, were kind of like, oh, she likes her heavy drink, her brandy yes. or whatever. Like, okay, quirky, sure. And then you get a sense that she's just like, almost like washing her hands of it. Like, whatever, not my problem. My husband is committed to this marriage thing happening between Newberry and Annabelle. But then that scene where Sebastian comes over and the grandma's almost flirting with Sebastian, I almost got a sense of, oh, maybe she's starting to realize this young, attractive man is attracted to Annabelle. And so maybe she'll facilitate that. And I'm like, oh, maybe I do like this granny. And then whatever, 50 pages later, suddenly she's doing something. No, you have to marry Newberry. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, why does this grandma get so behind this marriage thing? Because it comes out at one point in the book, initially Annabelle and her next oldest sister, so like her sister just younger than her, they were supposed to come together and debut together because the grandma figured, well, that's cheaper. We'll we'll launch both girls at the same time. And yet the other sister couldn't come because she got ill or something. And so there's this bizarre sense of like, responsibility to her family but as I understood the only reason they wrote off their daughter is because of their of two of their daughters one had the good sense to marry a duke 
and the other married a country squire and was poor. And, like, somehow that ostracized her. Yeah. But, they, again, they had, like, seven kids. So, like, what was the big deal? If one of them is happily married, they never even imply that Annabelle's family asked for money and, like, handouts all the time. No. It was bizarre. No, they were self-sufficient. It was just one of those the dad died and there had been nothing put away to savings, nothing put yeah. away to sustain them. And so once he was gone and not earning his income anymore... Although him being a scholar, I would find it very hard to believe his kids weren't going to school on scholarships or something at right? the school he it was taught. So it was alma mater. Baffling. I don't know. It was weird. Why do these and grandparents well care so much that she marries Newberry specifically? It would have made right, even Newberry more sense specifically if it was weird. like came out well. He's blackmailing your grandpa or something. something. No, what comes out is Granny had an affair with him, which made it a hundred times worse in my opinion. Seriously, unless they were somehow blackmailing them against their will, it made no sense why why the grandma would be like, "Yes, I want to marry I want you to marry my castoffs." Like that's disgusting. Like so, I'm sorry that it is wrong on so many levels. I think I think So I look I was done with the grandmother at that yeah, point. I think that this book was hard for me because maybe I'm actually used to there being more adherence to tropes. You're the villain, <laughs> the villain, or you're the hero, right? Or you fall into one of these two camps. You literally are good or bad in a lot of these books. And the grandma was rather ambiguous because when it came down to it, she she was helpful in some way. So let's set up this scene, okay? okay? So as Amy described earlier, basically there was a big confrontation at this house party where Lord Newberry had said. I'm already committed to marry Annabelle, you know. She's mine. Like she's mine. Like I, she, Sebastian. Oh, she's like signed and sealed. Like yeah. he's like it's the ink's dried on the paper. Yeah. So Sebastian turns to Annabelle. Are you planning on marrying him, or do you want to marry him? She says no. Sebastian's like, sorry, bro. She doesn't want you. And as Amy described, they had the fight. Whatever, it was over. Um, because Sebastian essentially ends up dropping to his knees, proposing, proposing. to Annabelle in front yes, of yes, everyone. Yes. She love says, you, love yes. you. Kiss, Yay. kiss, kiss. If Happy book, ending epilogue, right? If the book had ended there, even if we had to endure another sex scene, whatever. If the book had ended there, we would have been like, oh, that was Yay. sweet. Yay. No, of course no. it doesn't. So, that night, Lord Dewberry decides to, decides to seek his revenge. And he sneaks into Annabelle's room and essentially is going to rape her. Because that's going to get back at Sebastian. And he's not even, like, saying... I'm going to ruin you and then you have to marry me. He's legit just going to rape her and be like, yeah. I don't care if you marry Sebastian. I'll have had my way with you. <laughs> right? And you're like, ew, Total ew. Just the ick and the scary and the just like, why would you choose to put this in your book? Ugh. And then... And drag it out for an entire chapter. Yeah. So basically, Annabelle starts to get away, but he um, grabs her ankle. And so so if you can imagine, Lord Newberry's laying on the floor, grabbing her ankle. She strains and gets a poker from the fireplace. And she's ready to just whop the dude because she's like, whatever, I'm going to kill this guy, right? She's trying to save herself. Thank you. Finally, Annabelle fighting back. But, um, but then all of a sudden, Lord Newberry goes still, right? And right in that moment, Sebastian comes in. But Sebastian didn't hear, like, a scuffle. He was like, mm-hmm. you know, you can imagine he's like. he was coming to seduce her. Yeah, he's like, we're going to get married. Yeah. Let's get our busy on before the wedding day. Because apparently that's a prerequisite in these books. Oh, my gosh. Why oh, wait? Oh, my gosh. Why wait? No, let's have, let's go ahead and have sex because we're going to get married anyway. I have so many thoughts on it, but it's better suited for yeah. a different book that we'll discuss in a okay. later podcast. We have so many thoughts on that. But essentially, it looks like Lord Newberry's dead. <laughs> and so Sebastian has a minute of like, uh, 
And she's like, I didn't kill him or whatever. And so he comes and checks the poker. No sign of blood. No sign of injury. And he's like, oh, his heart. Like, you know, he wasn't healthy. He must have just died. So there's a really, it's actually kind of comical when they're debating what to do with the body. Let's drag him here. No, it's too loud. That's too far. He's really heavy. Blah, blah, blah. We can get Louisa to help. Well, Louisa, the cousin, is like... Tiny, petite. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, no, like that won't help. Well, eventually the grandma comes in and she has heard this kerfuffle. And basically she's like, I'm going to paraphrase, but she's essentially like, well, damn it. What did you guys do? Why is he dead? And they're like, it wasn't our fault. He just died. And so she decides. And this is when it all comes out that she had the affair with them. She had decides a love child with to him. fall on the sword and say, well, just put him in my bed. And they're like, what? And she's like, whatever. I had an affair before with him. Your Uncle Percy. And Annabelle is just like, what? <laughs> like, well, all these She's like, your Uncle out. Percy turned out just fine. <laughs> right? And so um, the funny part of it is... Is they're like, okay, like, what else can we do? And then Lord Newberry starts to stir. Well, they actually start moving yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. He's not dead. So they start, he starts to stir while they're moving him. They freak out and drop yeah. him. And he hits the ground again. And the grandma goes, did none of you check to see if he was actually dead? That was probably the funniest line. The greatest grandma moment, right? Yeah. And this crazy grandma that yeah. doesn't fall Almost into the good. Almost made the scenes worth it. Almost. Right? She doesn't fall in the good or bad camp. She no. keeps waffling between, yeah. I kind of like her. Oh, she's awful. I kind of like her. Oh, yeah. she's awful. The grandpa, by the way, Because then she, awful. when he comes awake, she finally stands up for her granddaughter. Finally. And she's like, she's you are livid. an old man. And she's like, Let that was go. my granddaughter. It was yeah. one thing if you were going to marry her, this is some bullshit, essentially. Yeah. And she's like, no. <laughs> I love how her blackmail is leave or I'll tell everyone you had sex with me. Oh, <laughs> my yes. Bed, like, yes. Because, that because would... he wants to be seen as virile, virile and young enough to yeah. marry a young woman and father a child. And she's basically like, get yourself out of here first thing or I'm going to tell everyone we've been having an affair. Yeah. Yeah, that was hilarious. So again, let's in there and jump to the epilogue. And I still would have been like, okay, I'm okay. All right. I didn't like it, but that was kind of funny at the very end with the grandma. Okie dokie. No. I thought that's where it ended. What have I blocked out? I was talking about the obligatory sex scene. Oh, yeah. And so they yeah. had already had oral sex earlier, whatever you want to Some version call it. of it, yeah. yeah. They've been intimate, intimate in some way, yeah. Petting or whatever. As usual, the hero has given the introduction to pleasure of the orgasm, first orgasm to, to the heroine. Okay, cool, good, cool, good. Cool, then cool, she cool. knows, okay, sure. I like you. Yep. You'll give me pleasure. I know. So now the whole reason he was sneaking into her room was because he wanted to be intimate with her. But let's have a brief review. She almost got raped. Yep. And she thought she'd killed a man. Yeah. So just think for a minute how traumatic that might be. Right. Maybe. In a minute. So it's not like he pounces on her right away. They talk. He wants to give her a better proposal. Yeah. So he, like, gives a sweet proposal. Which is kind of annoying. And honestly to me, because it was a pretty sweet proposal in the moment. Yeah. It was his proposal the first time was sweet. His proposal the second time by the lake was sweet. His proposal... At this point, Beth, I am skimming. I just oh my want gosh. this book Every to be done, which is probably yep. why you don't remember it. I just don't. I just don't understand why we why we need a full on graphic sex scene. Like I don't know. It felt forced in the book yeah. because I felt like we had had closure on all the drama. I didn't want that scene. Just have so they end up. They have to be intimate because they're required apparently in historical romances now. Nowadays, yeah. that you have to be intimate with the person you love. Okay. And then they're like, now let's go to the lake the next morning for some reason. I don't know. To skip stones. Again, I'm just like, can this book end? Oh, which was like a side story, minor detail in and the And it plot. ends up being 
that's where she ends up discovering he it connects for her that yeah. he's the author and so it ends up being a good chapter but again if you would cut out the four chapters before then that I felt were wasteful with the rape scene and let's have sex scene yeah. and all this stuff, I might have been more into it to reading. But literally at this part, I'm like, can this book please end? Can it please end? Yeah. Let's just get to the end. And then as always, because she tends to have very delightful epilogues, the epilogues was really sweet and fun and nice. I but... have a thought about the last bit too. Okay. So instead of feeling like they had to have sex... After the almost rape, right? I feel like it would have made so much more sense and been sweeter if they just stayed together. If he was like, let's just lay down. Let me hold you. You're safe. We're together. Let's just be still. Yes. Let's just let all that. That happened. Ugh. You know? Yes. But it just and there was another book Julia Quinn wrote where it felt the same way that it's like oh my characters haven't had sex yet, I need to throw in a sex scene. Yeah, it's one of the Smythe Smith. Oh, I remember that series one. Yeah, that first book or whatever. It felt the same. It was a very sweet romance, very romantic, very endearing, and it was almost like I only have a few chapters left, and they haven't had sex yet, so I'm gonna make them have sex. Almost like it's a prerequisite. Um, And so it was disappointing because I feel like Julia Quinn can step away from those tropes. And so then it's disappointing when it feels like I have to put an obligatory sex scene in here. I don't need to read about them being intimate to know they love each other. Well, because we're reasonable people. And so not every relationship, romantic, sexual relationship, A, not every romantic relationship has to have sex to be a valid relationship. And then B relationships can be so complex and diverse and so why can't this couple's story be one of just they did the things they did and then they the curtain fell on them and that was enough yeah you know there are only so many times i want to read a book where the heroine is going to be deflowered to use the term they often will use lose her virginity i hate both of those terms but the the idea of like her sexual awakening as a virgin has to come from this hero who has all of the sexual experience and stuff right it's a struggle for me yeah and i felt like it took away from the last little bit at the lake which yeah. was very cute when she realizes he's the author and they just reaffirm how perfect they are for each other. And so because I had to get through all the crap of the rape and the and their consensual sex, by the time I got to that scene, I literally didn't feel like I gave it it's, just, it's worth yeah. because I just wanted the book to be done by that point. But the epilogue was really cute. I did like it. This book was funny for me all the way through because one of the very first notes I made and I actually texted Amy, have I read this book before? <laughs> but from like three years Classic ago. Classic Beth. Right? I'm like, is this a Beth moment where I just can't remember the plot? Mer- various things. Maybe I've read this. This kind of sounds familiar. <laughs> and then at the part near the end, basically when uh, Annabelle is trying to prevent Lord Newberry from raping her, she says, stop, stop. I will marry you. I'll marry you. Right? And I made the comment. I'm like, oh yeah, this is why I blocked this book from my memory because I really hated how it ended. And so... I must have pushed it back because I know I've read this book before. It was is a frustrating one. Yeah. But what is the epilogue? I don't actually remember. Uh, it's just cute. They're sitting around. Again, she's thinking and making a list in her head. Um, and, and through the list, you find out. So it's four years later. So you find out that you actually find out they, you know, just had relations or whatever. But it's that way to lead into the fact that... Um, 
they already have three kids and so yeah they've been married know. like four years yes. or something yeah so, so the fertility <laughs> yeah the fertility thing held true um and then you find out through their dialogue that she is helping give input in his books yeah but he doesn't always take her input because there was one storyline that she really pushed that he had vetoed and it was cute because she was still kind of like i still think that would have been a great book kind of right. so that was cute and then they talk about how he's doing well financially because the books yeah. became super popular in, in russia, russia yeah and so and he's keeping he's still writing them but i also like that it's still a secret that no one besides her yeah it gets to be knows, their secret yeah, their little together. private thing and i i get the feeling that that brings sebastian a lot of peace yeah that he the whole world doesn't have to know but he gets to share it with the person yes. he loves and it's their project now yes. that they do which i thought was great yeah. cuz even his cousin and his wife still don't know no they don't so yeah i thought it was a cute little wrap up to their yeah. lives and you just imagine them i imagine they will continue to have seven more kids <laughs> or you know right. whatever it is they will continue to, to and it is kind of a fun and... one because in a weird way i remember thinking well it'll be really hard to cover up if lord newberry had died and stuff yeah he doesn't and in the epilogue this is one of those times oh, yeah, where they reference they reference he got his life in order a little bit he lost, lost weight, weight. he married an older woman so like a not older right? that couldn't reproduce but like a widow yeah so and he's not had... going off skeevy 15 16 year olds anymore and then they've had a couple of kids who were both daughters which i thought was kind of that funny comeuppance for him that he had a couple of kids with this new wife but they were both daughters it said that he hadn't i thought it said that he had two daughters boy or girl oh then i read that wrong this whole time i was like well that's a funny sad that he had more daughters had only had daughters but at the epilogue i thought it said i mean reread it again check me I thought at the very at the epilogue it was saying that he um he still hadn't produced. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. He had married a that okay, he'd married a widow of proven childbearing prowess but right. had not managed to sire another child boy or girl. Okay, yes. yeah, I misunderstood. Which to me would have been the irony if she'd been forced to marry him is it would have all been for naught if cuz it's probably him. Probably at, I would his, think age, at his age, you know. You would think I thought. I guess I thought it would have been such a funny come up. It would have been better if he just had daughters. Like he kept having kids, but they were all they were all girls. Yeah, that would have made me laugh. That would have been a better comeuppance for. And it was kind of a nice resolution too, though, because I liked that fundamentally the reason they were successful was on Sebastian's own merit. It wasn't because suddenly Lord Newberry died and he became the Earl. It was like, no, No. I wrote good books. People liked them. I made money. Here we are. I support my family and that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. I do also think it's cute, the reference to the gray-eyed babies, because they make a reference in the book that they have the same colored eyes. And so that's Sebastian's first joke is, all our babies would have gray, you know, our gray-eyed babies. And then at the end, when they're, you know, reaffirming that they're going to be together and and she's found out that he's an author and she'll be like, because we are going to have all those gray-eyed babies to feed. And so then in the epilogue, she references the three gray-eyed babies um, in the nursery, which is cute. So It was cute. All together, I was like, oh, yeah. I love hate this book. <laughs> Ten things I love hate about this book. I think book. I never want to read it again, although yeah. I did enjoy Sebastian. And so honestly, I'm like, I might want to read the one prior. I remember oh, reading was, the one with Harry and Olivia. It was good. And I'm like, maybe I'll put really that one on my it. list because yeah. I wouldn't mind experiencing Sebastian again. And I remember liking Harry and Olivia's story It's, it's better. pretty cute. 
And that, and there's, I think one is one that doesn't have, it's those, oh, you think he's a villain, but he's not really a villain. Like, oh the, yeah. I remember it has that like mystery Prince Andre element. or yeah. whatever. Like he ends up being, they end up being friendly with him and he's, that's why he's translating the books and yeah. whatnot. So yeah, I think they have a cute story. We should maybe even cover it in our podcast. Put it on the podcast. list. Put it on the list. Our long list. So yeah. Rereadability. You already said probably not again, since you accidentally already <laughs> read it twice. I'm the same. This was not my first time reading it. I thought I had liked it better, but after this time, I just couldn't get through it. So I think it's fun enough for a read, but not one that will go on my my heart shelf. Um, but it won't be on my thumbs down because I liked it well enough. And then would you read other books by this author? I know you have. I have read some. Yeah, I found them overall to be hit and miss. If we ever get yeah. around to the Bridgerton series, hit and miss. It'll um, be like I'll have that book in the series yeah. that I just think is Love exceptional. Yeah. But but then there'll be really misses for me as well. So because I come across the gems in her books, that keeps me reading her. Cause, although I don't right. think she's done a new book in a while. Apparently she's been developing a series with Netflix. Oh, right. Right, right, right. right. She's been busy. keeping her busy. All right. Well, that's it for 10 Things I Love About You. We're done. Like 30 things we hated about this book. I know. And 10 things we didn't like. like really hate it. Well, the ending. Just because it fell apart at the end. It was, it was heavy on the dislike, which was yeah. a surprise for me. Most of them were either balanced or we ended up liking it well enough, but there were things we don't like. Yeah. For me, this one, the majority, I didn't like, but there were some so things I So would you almost like. recommend someone not reading it then? Or would you still say, try it? Oh, that is hard because right. on the one hand, the moments that were funny and stuff were a lot of fun. And Sebastian is a lot of fun. It's just like, it would almost like I'd want to warn someone going in, like, just don't even worry about the stupid Newberry stuff. Yeah. It's, it's of course, it's not going to work out it. that way and just get through those scenes and, and Skip focus em. on the Sebastian <laughs> stuff because it's a lot of fun with yeah. this on, on the page. So Yeah. Agreed. All right. Join us next time. We're going to be talking about the book, The Taming of the Shrew by Shanna Galen. As always, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future books you'd like to hear us cover, we can be reached at snarkysisterspodcast at gmail.com. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> we got to tell people about happy ending. We do. Go watch the show Happy Endings if you have not seen it. It's hilarious. Sorry in advance. There's only three seasons. Yeah. But it's the best. Worth it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>